Welcome to the first season of Arise Esther, a podcast for today's Esthers, women who are ready to rise up in bold, courageous faith like Esther of old. She stepped up to lead when life was tough and hope was dim, but faith was fierce. Hi, I'm Dawn Scott Damon, your podcast host. I get to talk to some of the most resilient women on the planet. They've all tackled difficult life crises head-on and triumphed. And now we're here to help you do the same. So turn it up, Esther. This is your moment. So today we're talking about raising teens. And that is by no means an easy subject, nor is it an easy task. But my guest today, you're going to love her. She's an author, a speaker, a licensed mental health counselor, a life coach whose passion is encouraging others when life doesn't fit that storybook image. Her new book, Fledge, Launching Your Kids Without Losing Your Mind, <laughs> is a personal handbook for parents in this season of raising and releasing kids. And by the way, endorsed by Focus on the Family CEO, Jim Daly. Mm-hmm. She has been featured in the Chicken Soup for the Soul, Washington Post, and for Every Mom publications. She's a former teacher and a school counselor. She was twice awarded the Touchstone Award for Teachers, worked with teens for over 30 years, and you wouldn't know it because she doesn't even look 30 herself. She writes about faith and family and beyond that storybook image, as we mentioned. She herself is a mom and a wife. She has four children, ranging from college students to adults living on a farm in Indiana. Would you please welcome with me today my guest, Brenda Yoder. Hey, Brenda. Hey, hey I'm so glad to be here. Thank you for being with us today. Man, you're going you're gonna to tackle a tough subject, raising teens. And a lot of people think that's a piece of cake, but you know, that is no easy job. It takes a lot of finesse. It takes a lot of God's grace. Tell us a little bit about yourself. You've been working with teens for over 30 years. I have been. I started uh, teaching teens in our youth group and Sunday school class when I was just in college. And I've, I think I've just had a passion for adolescence. Um, my own adolescent experience was filled with an eating disorder. And mm-hmm. so I have always kind of had an interest in kids who are going through tough times, you know, in their own journey. And then we have had four kids ourselves and they're all three years apart. So um, I've been, we've always had kids in different seasons. So we had a middle schooler, you know, for about 13 years straight. Um, But before my own kids were even in high school, I taught high schoolers in, in the public schools. And uh, I just have, a heart for teens, but I also have a heart for supporting parents who are raising teens mm-hmm. because even my own experience, no matter how much I've worked with teens, when when my older teens were going through their teen life, I struggled with uh, anger and being reactionary. And so I've, I had to stop that. I had to learn where that came from and then I had to shift. And so part of my passion in really encouraging parents who are raising teens is not only helping them understand what their teen needs, but then also supporting them because there's, there's really a, um, I think raising teens is so hard and you can feel so alone, mm-hmm. especially when your 
teens are going through tough times or you've made mistakes or they've made mistakes and there's just a lot of fear and judgment. So, well, it's such an awkward passageway into adulthood and what teen doesn't have some tough issues or a tough time and, and a lot of parents and, you know, they're really individuating, they're learning to have autonomy, become their own person. Parents are freaking out because they're losing that control. So mm-hmm. it's just a turbulent time. It can be a wonderful time. It, it's really a joyful time to watch your child mature and become their own person. But yeah, so what what, I mean, exactly everything you're saying, you had a, a difficult time as a teenager. Was it pressure? Was it the stress of trying to fit in? What was it that drove you into, you said, an eating disorder in your teenage years? Yeah, it was a combination of two things, I think. One is a fear of being rejected. I, I, um, I never quite, I never kind of felt that I knew all the social cues that everyone else had, or at least what I thought girls had. You know, I seems like as I was reflecting on this recently for a writing project, you know, that transition from sixth grade to seventh grade and eighth grade, I actually had a comment that a friend's mom had given me about my body. And so I really became conscious about that. And as I saw all the other girls kind of morph into this, what seemed natural for them, right? Like flirting with boys and getting boyfriends and stuff like that. I just felt so awkward and I felt so self um, like everything I did was just magnified and that's normal, but you don't know that that's normal at the time. And then in my own family system, just needing to be seen and heard for who I was. Mm -hmm. And I think that combination of both of those, uh, created the kind of the perfect storm for, um, me controlling what I could, which was my weight. So I figured if I couldn't be pretty or do what other girls did, at least if I was thin, then no one could reject me. Um, that wasn't a conscious thought, but I remember thinking that. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And most of those thoughts really, they're not conscious, but it just, there was some reward that you were getting some power, a sense of, like you said, I got to control what I could when, when the world around us is so out of control. And every, I think every teen has a moment some way more than others. I know I did too, as well, going through and being an abuse survivor, getting to that point in my life where I didn't want my body to develop. I didn't want Mm -hmm. to appear sexual. It was a a difficult time, but what are the challenges that our youth today are, are facing that I can't even imagine raising a teenager today? Right. I think that there are, um, pressures, on, on two sides for both boys and girls. So even just thinking about body image, um, there's this great pressure from social media, both from girls and from, and from boys. That's interesting. I haven't thought about it from the boys angle, but you're so right. Keep going. Yeah. So for boys, it's this need to appear kind of buff and ripped and the, you know, the, the perfect masculine body. And then for women it's, or for, for, you know, for young women, for girls, it's the perfect flawless picture. And so with, with Instagram and TikTok and um, Snapchat and all the other apps that they're using technology all the time, it's kind of this constant demand for beauty and appearance, which really isn't their authentic selves. And so there's, there's pressure there. And then there's that internal pressure that all of those images or messages give them. So again, 
normally we feel self-conscious and normally we want to fit in and normally we want to have um, acceptance and know that we're validated, but technology just creates even more messages on top of that. Yeah. Like you said, it's so magnified today. Right. And then the pandemic in itself is creating another layer of isolation and loneliness Mm -hmm. and um, lack of lack of friends, lack of affirmation, lack of hope. So, so normally we were kind of on this trajectory of teens being impacted by technology. And I would even say pornography is a big influence. Um, that's not something we talk about a lot, but I've, uh, the last several years I have spoken about teen dating violence and healthy relationships in our public schools locally. And, um, that's a real influence, even though no one will come out and say that it is. Mm-hmm. So even, even the pressure that, because pornography is so accepted, the thoughts and ideas about relationships, what relationships are and what girls and boys think about sexuality and all of that is being influenced by pornography and social media. And so there's just a lot of messages in addition to all of the other tumultuous things that normally go on during adolescence. Right. So in addition to everything that they, you know, traditionally have dealt with, we have this society today, as you mentioned, that is just heaping on more and more stress and living your life in front of a camera. We're a a nation Mm -hmm. of voyeurs. We're a planet of voyeurs. We're watching everybody live. We're playing the highlight reel on Facebook, but that's not reality. And so I have to imagine even teen depression, suicide, as you Mm -hmm. mentioned, the isolation, the pressure, how, how does one support a parent that's trying to raise children in this environment? You said you really are an advocate for parents as well. Yeah, I think for to encourage all parents that um, first, first thing is that you always do the best with what you know at the time, you know, and I think of like being a parent who 10 years ago, technology was up and coming. So kind of on this new, new phase of parenting with technology. And I think parents are still in that realm, even though we've been really in it for, you know, 10 or 15 years now, but encouraging um, all parents to know that um, no matter what's happening around you, kids are still kids. Teens are still teens. They still are looking for that love and affirmation and to be seen and known. And one thing I like to really talk about is uh, relationship parenting versus performance parenting. Hmm. So we can kind of, yeah. So something that I, I often teach about and talk about, and it's, it's in fledge that idea of always building the relationship with your child versus looking at behavior or kind of going down that checklist of performance, because Mm -hmm. so many kids on the kids side, kids really need to be seen and known. They really need, they really long for a relationship with their parents. But yet so many kids feel like they aren't performing up to their parents' expectations, even though I think even the best meaning parents don't intend to put that on their kids, Mm -hmm. but we kind of do. So really looking at building the relationship with your child, no matter what, uh, no matter what they're doing, no matter what um, bad things they're doing or negative things that they're doing, 
no matter what the behavior is on the onset or what is reoccurring, there's something underneath those behaviors that is a need that the child is trying to get met. So always trying to look at that relationship and build that relationship. Yeah, I love what you're saying. So you're parenting with the relationship in mind. You're not parenting with the performance. Mm -hmm. And I think we've come a long way because I remember, you know, when the boomers were being raised and Gen X that we, we, we began to understand the damage we were doing when it was just all performance oriented, Mm -hmm. but still we, we have a long way to go. And so kids today, they've got all this pressure, but if they can have this relationship with their parents and this bond, doesn't that safeguard them in many ways from some of the pitfalls? It does. In fact, if you, um, one of the resources that I like to recommend for parents, especially for pornography is Protect Young Minds. Um, you can go to their website and find a lot of their resources, but um, the the kind of the, the studies are showing that what is a good preventative against kids being involved in pornography or kind of getting pulled down that hole are these genuine relationships. Mm-hmm. It's that family time, it's family activities. Um, but at, at the core, it's that relationship with the parents that doesn't change that even knows, even though a child may be acting like they don't want a relationship with you, right? For anyone who's had a teen knows that their moods swing like Jekyll and Hyde and you don't ever know what may come out of one of their mouths. Um, I remember for myself that when one of my teens, you know, had said, you know, I hate you and all this other stuff. And you think, oh, you know, a relationship with me is the last thing that they want. No, what they really do want is a relationship with you, but they also want to know that no matter what they do, that you're still for them. And I I think that's the false perception of having a relationship with them doesn't mean that you're their friend, still means you're their parent, but a parent is someone who is for their child and for their child, even in the midst of addiction or um, depression or uh, whatever is going on in their world. And the thing that I often hear from parents is we look at whatever's going on or whatever tension is going on with our child as how it is affecting us. Well, they did that and they shouldn't do that. Why? Because I'm the parent. They should be giving to me what I expect. And I went through that. That was one reason that I was reactionary and I had to give up my rights and I had to learn what wasn't working well so that I could do what needed to be changed. And, and part of that is um, we are the adults And yet we tend to expect adult-like behavior from our teens. And while they may give it some of their time, their brain is still developing. And we now know that the brain isn't fully developed until they're 24 or 25. So they're they're responding often out of that decision-making part of the brain, what we call from the upstairs brain, when the downstairs part of the brain, which is that emotional part of the brain, Mm -hmm. that impulsive part of the brain is still developing. And it, it takes all of adolescence and young adulthood for both of them to catch up. And so part of, part of encouraging parents is, is just helping them understand what all is going on with their teen. Cause there's yes. so much more that's happening, even biologically and happening in their world that we don't see on the outside. We may just see their, their surly behavior, their disrespectful remarks, their, um, unkept rooms or their lack of motivation. And we just may chuck it up to them being 
lazy and entitled and all these other things when really there's so much more to it. That's so important to hear because I think you're talking about a time when we don't know what's going to come out of the kid's mouth necessarily, but sometimes we don't know what's coming out of the parent's mouth. Parents are being triggered and, as you say, overreacting in times instead of shaming messages and you're lazy and giving them labels to give those messages that say, I'm for you. I'm on your side. I don't have to embrace every behavior to love you. I can love you well and still not like what you're doing. Some parents, I think, feel like if I show love to my child, somehow I'm approving of their behavior. Mm -hmm. I'm approving of you as a person, as my child who I love. We're going to get there with the other stuff. You're going to grow, but right? Messages that say, I'm for you. I'm on your side. I believe in you. You're going to make it. Those are the things that are critically important as we're raising our kids, correct? Yeah. And I think what you were saying is, is that balance that parents have to have. So there's a balance of, um, I'm for you. I'm really hurt by the decisions you're making or what you're doing isn't okay. But at the end of the day, our kids need to know that no matter what happens, mom and dad still see them as a whole person. And I think we tend to to put shame and blame and guilt on things that that, that the, our teen feels as part of their identity. And so that's kind of that fine line of saying, no matter what, I will love you. Mm-hmm. Um, and But what you're doing is not healthy. What you're doing is not okay. It's not okay that you talk to me that way. Right. Um, and I, I think of, I think of one of my own kids that, um, there was a time, this is the thing that I realized about, it was almost like God showed me a perspective that I had never seen before. And I think as parents, we know that we will always love our kids, right? Right. Like we know that even though they disappoint us or they may do something that just makes us so angry, um, we know that we will always love them because we, like they come right there. They, yes. they come from us. I mean, we, we love we them. We lay no our life what. down for our kids. Right. But our kids don't know that, right. Mm-hmm. They really don't know that. So when, all they hear from us and see from us is anger, disgust, shame, um, what they're not doing well, just negative, negative, negative. They don't know that. Like they take their cues from us. Right. Mm -hmm. And so I remember, um, I think one of my kids just saying, all you, all you need to say is I'm proud of you. And I thought, well, they should know that. Don't they know how proud I am of them? Well, no, at that point in time, they didn't, they were 14 or 15. And all they heard probably was critical words from me from the minute they got up to the minute they went to bed, even though I knew I loved them, I was proud of them. They literally don't hear those things mm-hmm. unless we tell them. Yep. That's a really good point. And I like how you're bringing that out because I think that we cannot bless our children enough with those words of affirmation and those words of encouragement you mentioned a moment ago your book, Fledge. Tell me about that. What is the Fledge process? Yeah, so the Fledge process is that multi-layered process of starting to let go really from the minute we bring the child from the hospital or we assign those adoption papers because really from the minute they 
come home, right? God is growing them. Uh, with that word, you talked about autonomy. And I'm watching that. We have a brand new grandchild and our very first one. And I'm watching that happen even with, with my um, children, with their new child is every new stage, right? He's already growing away from them. And um, so fledge is to put is for um, a young bird to develop strong wing feathers that are ready for flight. Mm. And it's based on That's Psalm 127, good. which is like arrows in the hands of warriors are children born of one's youth, which means that God intends for these arrows not to be kept in our backpack, right? Mm. Or, or in the quiver, they're meant to be released. Yes. And it takes a warrior to do it, which means we have to be strong. Mm. And we've already talked about some of those fledging principles, which are giving up control and developing autonomy. But part of the pro part of the struggle for parents in letting go is that we truly do need to release our children in who God has created them to be, and to realize that us trying to keep our hands on them when really developmentally they should be growing on their own and developing that autonomy and developing those skills. Um, we tend to steal, I use a term called steal, don't steal the struggle. And mm, so as we see kind of a generation of kids with entitlement and not knowing how to problem solve and because parents are helicopter parents or they're trying to micromanage their kids' lives and kids will tell you, my parents don't think I can do it. Like the, those are the messages we give our kids when we try to do things for them or don't let them struggle in developmentally appropriate areas for them to figure things out on their own. And um, so Fledge really is a book, not just about releasing your kids, but it's also kind of a devotional built in there for moms during that time because we deal with so much as our kids are letting go your midlife you are facing, you know, that this changing family that um, is that continues to morph and change until your last one leaves. You know, for us, we had about a 10 year process from the time our oldest left home until our youngest left for college. And all between that time, you're raising a young adult, but you're also raising teenagers or elementary kids, which was my case, or even younger. And so there's a lot of grief that goes along with it. And I really just wanted to encompass all of those areas between the full house and the empty nest. You know, what you're talking about, it, there's, it almost feels paradoxical because on one hand, you're saying we have to give them wings and let them soar. And at the same time, giving them roots, right? So roots mm -hmm. and wings, um, individuate, be your own person. Yet at the same time, I'm giving you security and attachments are forming. And so I'm here. And the stronger that security is, the more free and independent mm -hmm. they, they can be. And that's a beautiful thing, right? Because isn't codependent, you don't want your child enmeshed in you. No. You want to see them go, not out of rebellion, but because they feel so secure. Right. In fact, I just read an article recently that talked about parent estrangement and or parent alienation, parent mm -hmm. estrangement, I think. And um, it was done by, a, I think, maybe the Atlantic. I, I'm not quite sure where the article came from, but it talked about that the, the number one commonality of young adults or adult children who actually pushed their parents away in adulthood mm -hmm. 
are the relationships where the parents were overly involved in the children's lives. Mm-hmm. And so that, that is a good reminder that kids can feel smothered. Yeah. You know, the this, helicopter. This, right. The, the codependency and the enmeshment that happens becomes unhealthy when, when the parent doesn't know how to distinguish between them, sem- themselves and the, and the child. And, the child. and where we're doing everything for the child and not really allowing them to have their own life. And I often say that, you know, it's our responsibility to, to raise them until they cross that graduation stage or the equivalent. Mm -hmm. And, and after that, it's their life. And I find that I, so I've worked with a lot of young adults in my private practice And what I've heard from them over and over again really is this process of them trying to find their own identity outside of their parents. And so when parents are overreaching or they aren't giving up control in areas of of their young adults or teens life in ways that are developmentally appropriate. And I want to highlight that so much because for every child, that's a little bit different. If you've got a child with special needs or mental health issues, that are significant, the parents might need to be more involved because of that. In my own experience, um, I became, when I was anorexic and bulimic, I was, I had my eating disorder from age 14 until pretty much until I got married, but um, I got better during college, but then I relapsed quite a bit. And so, you know, my parents came to my university and did an intervention with me. And that was appropriate because I was getting worse and they really put, put, um, you know, they could have just left me go and said, well, you know, she's an adult. This is her life. She'll figure it out. Right. But they love me enough to come down and say, you know, we're not letting this continue um, unless X, Y, Z. And so there, there's always a fine line, but God's goal for us is to let our kill or let our children be autonomous and had to have free choice because God gives us free choice. That's how he does it with us. Yes, yes, exactly. So I'm hearing you say, hey, mom and dad, don't steal the struggle. Mm-hmm. And on the other hand, once again, we're not going to abandon our kids. Yep. We don't neglect. We don't ignore our children. We hear the cry of our child. The shepherd hears the bleeding of the sheep. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, like you're saying, there's value in the fight that will make you the person that you are. Hey, Brenda, I can't believe our time was almost gone. Tell me, what's your best advice for parents? Maybe you've already given it. Highlight that again for us. I think my best advice is um, position their heart towards God and don't expect them to have a decision about God um, on your timeline, but to protect their heart and, and see them as a whole person and position their heart towards a relationship with Christ. And no matter what they do to look at that child through the eyes of their creator and to have patience. Yes. Patience for sure. Give me a quick word on what went position their heart. How do, how does a mom and dad do that? Is that by modeling or training? How do they position their heart towards God? I think um, always letting your child know that you love them no matter what, and you're not going to box them in. And again, towards God means that, um, that God develops a relationship with us. That's how he comes to us is through a relationship. 
but he's also a gentleman. He doesn't force himself on us, but he's always there beside us. Mm -hmm. And so as we shepherd our children that way, even when it comes to their relationship with Christ or their lifestyle choices or the negative things, if they're not, if they're rejecting the faith that they were raised in all of that, that we don't put a box around that. We don't pigeonhole them and say, because you're rejecting God right now, you're rejecting him forever. Or because you're choosing this behavior right now, then that means that you are walking away from God. We need to just stop that. We mm -hmm. need to really um, see that child, affirm that child in who God created them to be without putting our labels or parameters on mm -hmm. that. And then to walk beside them, not enabling poor behavior, not shaming, but at the end of the day that they know that mom and dad love, have their back mm -hmm. and that it reflects the heart of the God who created them. I don't know if that makes sense or not, but yes, it does. A, it's loving them back to the father if they're away mm -hmm. and being the heart of God to our children, yes. unconditional love, loving discipline, speaking the truth in love, mm -hmm. enjoying loving having a, a healthy relationship, giving them freedom, all of those things. The book is called Fledge, Launching Your Kids Without Losing Your Mind. Love the title. Where can we find you, Brenda? You can find me at brendayoder.com. You can find me on social media, on Instagram. I'm at Brenda Yoder Speaks, on Facebook at Brenda Yoder Speaker. And um, you can buy the book on Amazon or at your favorite local retailer online or at your favorite Christian bookstore. Beautiful. Get the book, everybody. You're going to need it. I'm going to get it for my daughter. I have grandchildren that are teenagers. I can't believe you're already a grandma. You look like you're 12. It's great to have you on today. Thank you for being on the program. I'm going to just say a word for uh, of prayer for everyone. Every mom and dad that might be listening, you feel you feel discouraged about the direction of your child. I just want to remind you that God is the perfect parent and even his children disobeyed and wandered away from him. So don't give up on your kids. Don't give up on your kids. Love them. Father God, I pray for every parent that feels discouraged and every child that feels overwhelmed. I pray you, God of all comfort, would visit them, give them peace, and that you would bring restoration and healing to every home and everyone who would claim that right now in Jesus name, that you would find strength and relief and a miracle in Jesus name. Amen. Amen. Thanks for being with me. Hey, everybody. This is Dawn Scott Damon, your host. I got a question for you. Modern day Esther's. Is this your moment to arise? I hope you enjoyed the show today. If you found value, make sure that you visit ariseesther.captivate.com. FM. Like us, love us, and review us. And hey, want to join the movement? Visit us on thearisemovement.com to get connected. And for more information about me, your freedom coach and host, visit freedomgirlsisterhood.com. And while you're there, take the 60-day freedom challenge. You'll be so glad you did. Until we meet again, keep rising. This is your moment.